Too much about nuclear does not make sense, and there's no simple way to wrap one's head around it. So when you hear nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, none that sound a week, you know you're about to go through the looking glass, down the rabbit hole, and into the alt-universe where the strangest things happen to inevitably heat up the seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we will look back on 2017 through the lens of our most popular feature, Numbnuts of the Week. We'll take a stroll through the places where the industry has made boneheaded moves, tone-deaf decisions, stupid announcements, the government and its agents careen out of sanity, and everyone tries to convince us that nukes are good. And all of this will lead up to our naming the Numbnuts of the Year. Today is Tuesday. December 26, 2017, and here is the Nuclear Hot Seat year-end special, Numbnuts of the Year. The line between regular news stories dealing with nuclear and numbnuts is often just a matter of degree. The whole industry is an exercise in state-sanctioned insanity, supported by the industry, the media, academia, and an army of PR pros paid millions to keep the fiction running. After all, there's money at stake, enormous amounts of it. And those who benefit from the financial flow are loath to let a little matter of health, safety, and the future of our DNA stop them from cashing their checks. So understand that my choices are arbitrary, though some weeks something so insane happens that I cannot look away. Having said it, let's get on with the nuclear numbness of the year in review. We'll start out with a piece of nuclear industry apologia that included a semantic acknowledgement of my existence as a gadfly. It warmed my cockles. From Nuclear Hot Seat number 327, September 26, 2017. Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, none that's out of week. The World Nuclear Association just cracks me up. As reported in my favorite target, World Nuclear News, the WNA's newly published fuel report indicates that, by their own estimates, by 2035, the United States might be losing 11 reactor units. It may be losing 30 reactor units. And the best they can come up with is losing two, gaining five. I wouldn't bet on that one. 
This is the industry reporting on its own bad news. But it gets better than that because at the association's recent annual symposium in London, they interviewed Michael Pasilio, who is chief operating officer of Exelon Generation, who says he is, quote, optimistic that we won't do nothing. So, okay, all you guys who've sold your soul in order to write for World Nuclear News, could you please give him some corrections on English grammar? Even better, as this guy was sitting there and mouthing off that if you love mom, apple pie, and the American flag, you just gotta love nukes. They were actually calling this interview Pasilio's hot seat interview. Thanks, guys. I mean, I knew you were listening. But if you think you're clever in ripping off my lingo, realize that all you did was help advertise nuclear hot seat. Though you did misspell it. Everybody from this show knows that hot seat is one word, not two. But still, I'll take that as a nod in my direction, and thank you so much. And as for the grammatically challenged Michael Pasilio, whose seat may have been warmed, but it certainly wasn't hot, I'm going to name you as this week's Nuclear Hot Seat, none that's out of the week. We'll dispense with the intro jingle from this point forward. Japan has a vested interest in indulging in numnutsery. Not only is the wreckage of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear reactors continuing to leak radioactive water into the ocean, the contamination of the surrounding towns, mountains, and even areas at great distance from the site of the ongoing disaster continue to be a problem that Japan continues to try to cover up. Thus, it's no surprise that Japan dominates this year's numbnuts of the week. Like this story from episode number 312 on June 13. The short-sightedness of post-Fukushima Japan continues to mystify and stun sane people. It has come to light that Japan is now burying radioactive rubble in the schoolyard of primary schools in Yokohama. That's radioactive debris that they schlep 266 kilometers, or 165 miles, from one site to another. Now the question is, why would they do this? According to comments on nuclear-news.net, which suggests that you hear this with the thickest possible sarcasm, the answer is, well, I guess it's better than sitting unprotected in barrels on the school grounds for years until the national government gets around to classifying the sludge as radioactive waste. And burying it on school grounds has a precedent in Fukushima that everyone seems to think is okay. So why would Yokohama treat it any differently? And, of course, no one has been harmed by this. Yet. Three to five years for thyroid cancer and leukemia, 10 years and up for any other kind of cancer that might result. Japan, you, this policy, all of it, are this week's and long into the future's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of the week. Food grown and manufactured in Japan is at risk from radiation exposure and is particularly dangerous for creating internal contamination putting radionuclides up close and personal with your internal organs. 
But that hasn't stopped Japan's push to get its food recognized as clean and safe to eat. Which is why stories such as this one, from June 13 in episode 289, prove such an embarrassment to the country. Mm-mm-mm. Don't you just love to munch on potato chips? And now there's a new flavor. Not cool ranch, but hot rad, as in radiation. That's because a citizen food testing project found Fukushima-related radioactive contamination in a bag of Japanese potato chips. The chips were harvested and manufactured in 2015, with the potatoes coming from Ibaraki and Chiba prefectures, both of which are outside areas normally flogged by the Japanese government as having agriculture at risk of contamination from radiation from Fukushima. Kampu, the testing group, found both cesium-134 and 137 in the chips. Mm-mm-mm. The brand, Cal-B, can be found in Japan and is also sold globally, including here in the good old U.S. of A. So go chow down on some hot chips with some hot wings. Bet you can't eat just one. Baccarel. And that's why, Calbi Potato Chips, you are this week's Num Nuts of the Week. Got a problem with the level of radiation recorded in a basic food, such as milk? Japan has an answer for that. From Nuclear Hot Seat number 302 on April 4. Compound Num Nuts from Japan this week. A dairy farm near the disaster-struck Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant began shipping raw milk again on Tuesday, January 24. Milk produced at the farm in the Naraha district had been checked for radioactive cesium every week from last May to December, with no reading ever surpassing the government-set limit of, get this, 50 becquerels per kilogram. You don't want to take anything in your body that is allowed to have as much as 50 becquerels per kilogram or even one becquerel per kilogram. You'll understand that even more after you hear today's featured interviews. And in a continuation from a previous numnuts, soil from the Fukushima prefecture may be used as landfill for the creation of quote-unquote green areas in Japan. The advisory panel of the Environment Ministry on Monday, March 27, proposed reusing soil that was contaminated during the Fukushima nuclear meltdown of 2011, you know, that stuff that's in the big green trash bags that are decaying, using that as part of future landfills designated for public use. This according to Kyoto News. The environmental panel avoided openly using the word park and instead said green space. And only following an inquiry from the news outlet did the Ministry of Environment clarify that parks are included in the green space. The ministry also stressed the need to create a new organization that will be tasked with gaining public trust about the prospects of such modes of recycling. In other words, a ministry of radiation propaganda. Radiation is bad. We should not be exposed to it. And pretending that it's going to be okay if you just bury it deep enough and put some stuff on top of it, and it won't migrate further in the environment, and it won't hurt people, or maybe you'll just be far enough away from it that it won't hurt you or your career, is just short-sighted, stupid, heartless, and cruel. And that's why Japan's government, and specifically the Ministry of the Environment, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. 
The propaganda push is on to make certain Japanese and especially Fukushima food is recognized as being safe, whether it is or not. From episode number 316 on July 11. The European Union is considering lifting an import restriction on rice produced in Fukushima Prefecture, which was hit with the triple meltdowns and is still leaking radioactive water into the Pacific, to the tune of 300,000 liters a day. And they're also considering lifting their import restrictions on wild vegetables and marine products from Japan, including shrimp, crab, octopus, yellowtail, red sea bream, and bluefin tuna. Well, what do you expect? Six years? Why not lift the restrictions? After all, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics are just two years away. And the illusion must be created internationally that food that comes from Japan and specifically from northeast Japan around Fukushima is safe to eat, whether it is or not. And for whatever reasons or trade agreements or money under the table or whatever it took for the consideration of this ban to be lifted and the need for these radiological certificates to be lifted, you European Union are this week's Nanas of the Week. More on Japanese food safety from, from episode 319, August 1st. Japan's agriculture ministry has stepped up efforts to certify more agricultural producers in preparation for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics. The number of meals to be served for athletes and staff will likely exceed 15 million. But how safe can it be? A study of radiation contamination found in Kawauchi Village, some 30 kilometers or 18 miles from Fukushima Daiichi, show radiocesium in three mushroom types that were tested. Radiocesium concentrations as high as 5,600 becquerels per kilogram were detected in all 68 samples of hedgehog mushrooms. And cesium was found in all but one sample of the other two mushroom types that were tested with radioactive hot particles found all over Japan, anyone planning to attend the 2020 Olympics and eat even certified food while there are this week's Nanas of the Week. Of course, all of these shenanigans around food are aimed at attracting the world to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. You know, the ones the International Olympic Committee granted Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe baby based on his claim that Fukushima was under control. Now the IOC is getting into the act as their own lab rats when it comes to Fukushima food. With a catch so ably caught by Nuclear Hot Seat's Voices from Japan producer, Beverly Finlay Kaneko, that it's included in the numnuts. This is from episode number 338, just three weeks ago on December 2nd. The Tokyo Organizing Committee of the Olympics and Paralympic Games is teaming up with the Reconstruction Agency to bring delicacies, their words, from the 2011 disaster hit Iwate, Miyagi, and Fukushima prefectures to the table for its banquet with the International Olympic Committee on today, December 12th. Actually, the Tokyo Committee plans to use its many opportunities to appeal to the IOC about the safety of Fukushima products and the charm, their word, charm, of the Tohoku region's abundant foodstuffs. One spokesmodel said, 
we would like many people to try our product and better understand the situation in the disaster-hit areas. In truth, if they understood the level of contamination in the Fukushima area and the danger that it posed to everyone around it, they would never even taste the products. Be it the planned menu of platinum pork, two kinds of rice, mackerel, beef tongue, apples, and chicken, all suspect because they're not being tested. And it's not just these officials who are going to be subjected to this food. A menu made with ingredients from the affected areas is also planned to be utilized for athletes in the Olympic Village and other locations. As pointed out by Beverly Finlay Kaneko, producer of the Voices from Japan series every year on Nuclear Hot Seat for Fukushima, she said, sampling a few items isn't going to harm the old fogies on the Olympic Committee, but they don't have to live there with children and make choices that affect health day in and day out. Using foreigners to pronounce Fukushima safe is a particularly evil form of PR. And that's why, Reconstruction Committee and all of you Olympic officials who are chowing down on potentially radioactive food, you are this week's None That's Out of the Week. By the way, whatever happened to TV host Norikazu Otsuka, who was so pleased to be shown chowing down on Fukushima food in the immediate aftermath of the 2011 nuclear disaster, and then as of November of 2011, left his job as host of a popular program because he was diagnosed with acute lymphatic leukemia. Where is he now and how is he now? They never bother to tell. That was the end of that week's Numbnuts. But since it aired, we have done further research and found out that the TV announcer is still alive but very ill and staying completely out of the public eye. As for the ongoing drumbeat of nuclear propaganda, it's an international plague upon all our houses, being used to convince the unwary and the news media that nuclear is good and necessary and even, dare I say it, in some instances, fun. Take this example from nuclear hot seat number 304 on April 18 of this year. World Nuclear News, that source of so many prime numbnuts stories, had a headline this week that reminded me of the old joke, Doctor, it hurts when I do that, so don't do that. The headline, Nuclear's fate in Japan depends on public acceptance. So public, don't accept it. And the majority of them don't. But try convincing Takahashi Imai, the Japan Atomic Industrial Forum chairman, he said in a keynote speech at their conference in Tokyo, the debate about energy policies in Japan was, quote, thrown into confusion following the accident at the Fukushima Daiichi plant. Confusion? I think it was thrown into a much bigger pile of doo-doo than that. Imai said, from here, will nuclear power in Japan just be allowed to decline, not to be needed anymore, and be replaced with other types of energy? And I'm thinking to myself, yes, yes. Of course, Imai did not agree. He said nuclear power is indispensable to Japan, as it is a very important power source from the viewpoint of the three E's, energy security, economy, and, wait for it, environmental protection, all based on the premise of, wait for it, safety. From which alt-facts Trumpian corner of the universe 
does this guy pull his information? Ultimately, he talks about decommissioning measures for Fukushima Daiichi as an activity which is capturing the world's attention. Dude, we've been paying attention for six years and counting. And that's why you, Takahashi Imai, are this week's Nuts of the Week. Canada had its own fair share of manipulations going as well. This from episode 308 from May 16. In Ottawa, Canada, last Saturday, families looking for a free, fun, family-friendly activity went to the Science Odyssey Fun Fest, which was put together by the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. Whee! They promised hands-on science activities and CNSC experts to demystify the science of radiation. Considering that these activities were presented by federal government departments, universities, and external partners, meaning corporations involved with the nuclear industry, you can just bet that alternative information was not provided. And in a second numbnuts, Kara McCullough, a 25-year-old chemist who works for the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, was crowned Miss USA on the Las Vegas Strip. Besides being a nuclear professional, Ms. McCullough, when asked if she thinks that affordable health care for all U.S. citizens is a right or a privilege, said it's a privilege. She also said she likes to transpose the word feminism to equalism when she stands around in her bathing suit talking about the wonders of nuclear. But honey, if it weren't for the feminists, you wouldn't have a shot at being equal, and it can all go backwards as soon as in case you haven't been watching The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. And that's why you, Miss USA, and the propagandists at the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission are this week's Nuts of the Week. Then there's Japan's standalone propaganda destination. On October 3rd, this was on Nuclear Hot Seat number 328. In Ahime Prefecture in Japan, a public relations facility set up to publicize the safety of the Ikata nuclear power plant still insists that nuclear plants can withstand a tsunami of any height. What? Did 2011 never happen for them? Are they in a time warp? Now, fortunately, the contents on display will finally be updated before the end of the fiscal year because, as one prefectural government official put it, some of the information does not square with the current situation. Current? It happened six and a half years ago, dude. One question asks, what would happen to a nuclear power plant if a large earthquake should strike? Multiple choice. One, continue to generate power. Two, the reactor automatically stops to prevent any form of accident. And three, it would be destroyed if a large earthquake struck. The second choice is considered the correct answer when the third is what actually happened. They even offer the reassurance, the nuclear plant is a sturdy building that would not budge an inch in an earthquake, typhoon, or tsunami. Guess again. Six and a half years and counting. Just change it. And that's why this week, the public relations propaganda arm of the Ikata nuclear power plant is this week's Nuts of the Week. 
And then some numbnuts are so absurd and obscene, you can't believe they're actually happening. From Nuclear Hot Seat 318 on July 25th. If you wanted to convince people that it's perfectly safe to go into the ocean, only 70 kilometers, 54 miles away from Fukushima Daiichi in Japan, what would you do? Well, if you're the Usuiso Seaside Resort in Iwake, Fukushima Prefecture, you get a bunch of high school students in the garb of Hawaiian hula dancers to play in the waves and pose for photographers. The resort's beach has been closed since March 11 of 2011, and the reason they cited for that was the tsunami, which followed the earthquake. But not one word about Fukushima Daiichi just up the coast, with its three melted-down reactors and radioactive water that pours through the basement of the reactor buildings and where TEPCO is planning to dump massive amounts of stored, tritium-contaminated water. But Japan is pushing the 2020 Tokyo No Olympics, and they want people to forget that 33 countries still have a ban on Japanese fish and food from the areas, and especially the waters, close to Fukushima Daiichi. And that's why, Usuiso Seaside Resort in Iwaki, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, Numbnuts of the Week. We'll continue with our Numbnuts of the Week retrospective for 2017 and lead on to Numbnuts of the Year. But first, Nuclear Hot Seat relies on your donations to keep us going and growing. My gratitude to those of you who donate when, how often, and as much as you can. As we come to the end of the year, please keep in mind your annual giving. You can make an individual end-of-year gift or set up a small recurring payment. Buy us the equivalent of a cup of Starbucks a month. Maybe add a nosh in. Either way, you will be supporting the work of this show in helping you understand the nuclear issues and not be so alone with your awareness. So help us keep doing this work. We make it easy for you. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button. There's also a big green Donate button if you want to set up an easy monthly $5 donation. It can come through PayPal or directly from your credit or debit card. And if you prefer to not donate online, email info at NuclearHotSeat.com for a snail mail address where you can send your donation the old-fashioned way. Whatever you can do to help us in the coming year, you have my thanks and you have my gratitude. And I'm glad you're along for the ride. And now back to... Nuclear Hot Seed, Numbnuts of the Week. And the year. You know, nuclear problems are not, alas, limited to Earth. When it comes to despoiling other pristine environments, nuclear does it like no other. From May 2nd, episode number 306. It's official. There is no limit to the egregious insults, nuclear insults, that that industry is capable of inflicting anywhere in the universe. Despite protests from around the world, the Cassini space probe, which contained more deadly plutonium than had ever been used in a space vehicle when it was launched 20 years ago, 
were sent crashing into the surface of the planet Saturn on April 22nd, Earth Day. And what made the Cassini more than another little bit of space dust bumping into a planet is the fact that it contained 72.3 pounds of plutonium-238 as its fuel. According to seasoned journalist and the nuclear movement's eminence grise, Carl Grossman, the plutonium-238 used in space devices is 280 times more radioactive than plutonium-239 used in nuclear weapons. How did NASA justify, if that's a word that can be used, justify this assault against an innocent planet? They said they had to make sure Cassini is incinerated at the end of its journey to ensure that any of its Earth-born microbes do not contaminate the biotic or prebiotic worlds out there. I don't know what microbes might have been able to live through 20 years of space voyage, but the fact that we just dumped over 70 pounds of deadly plutonium and sentenced an entire planet to eternal plutonium contamination didn't seem to ever enter their thinking. Bruce Gagnon, coordinator of Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space, and a recent Nuclear Hot Seat interviewee said, When I heard that NASA would be dive-bombing Cassini into Saturn with 72 pounds of deadly plutonium-238 on board, I thought of the Army handing out smallpox-laden blankets to Indians on the reservations. NASA readily admits that, quote, biotic or prebiotic, end quote, life very possibly exists on Saturn. Are they trying to kill it? This is numbnuts of the most evil kind. And that's why NASA and all of you short-sighted, smug idiots who made the decision that it was okay to contaminate an entire planet with what you can't even control down here on Earth, you, every last one of you, are this week's and well beyond None That's Out of the Week! One of the best and proven ways for government and industry to get around responsibility for radiation levels and the impact that they will have on health and safety is to change the perception of what those radiation levels mean. So here's an unwelcome shift in perspective reported as of nuclear hot seat number 335 on November 21st, 2017. According to the University of Bristol, New research based on a totally made-up new formula suggests that few people, if any, should be asked to leave their homes after a big nuclear accident just down the block. I wonder how much nuclear industry funding went into that study. One Professor Philip Thomas of the University of Bristol used a judgment or J value to balance the cost of a safety measure against the increase in life expectancy it achieves. That's right, the days of your life now have a price tag on it determined by somebody in alignment with the nuclear industry. Now they admit the J-value is a new method pioneered by said Professor Thomas that assesses how much should be spent to protect human life and the environment. How about every penny you've got? 
No surprise that, as examples, the researchers found that it was difficult to justify relocating anyone from Fukushima Daiichi. And if you read through their gobbledygook about Chernobyl, only 900 people really deserve to be evacuated. No doubt this J-value, or judgment value, is going to be used by governments around the world to justify not spending anything to protect people or the environment. It's on par with the blatant lie that nuclear is quote-unquote carbon-free when what it is is radiation-expensive and cancer risk. And that's why Professor Philip Thomas and Bristol University and all the rest of the universities that were bribed to be part of this latest bit of pro-nuclear propaganda, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. Never underestimate the power of human error to make our nuclear-related lives ever so much more complicated. Here are two examples. First, an unnecessary hit of bad news from episode number 310 on May 30th. On Tuesday evening, May 23rd, 2017, TV viewers in parts of southern New Jersey saw a sudden warning flash across their TV screens right in the middle of prime time. A civil authority has issued a nuclear power plant warning, all caps, for the following counties areas, listing Cumberland and Salem in New Jersey. The New Jersey Office of Emergency Management said the nuclear power plant warning was created as part of a training exercise, and as a result of a coding error, the message was publicly broadcast. No word from local hospitals as to a sudden uptick in cardiac events or panic attacks. And that's why, New Jersey Office of Emergency Management, you are this week's None Nuts of the Week. And here's this sitcom moment from episode number 329 on October 10. The Homer Simpson of the UK Navy accidentally fired a torpedo at a nuclear dockyard that then flew across a jetty and smashed into a fence. This information is just coming out now, but the incident happened in March of 2014. Amazingly, no one was hurt when the nine-foot missile, which fortunately was not armed, blasted out of the HMS Argyle while the ship was moored in Plymouth's Devonport Naval Base. The misfire apparently occurred during what was meant to be a simulated testing. A heavily redacted Royal Navy report released under the Freedom of Information Act, also found that the experienced engineer had wanted to carry out an overdue test. It reads, It is assessed that he seized an opportunity to conduct an overdue serial whilst the system was live and available to him. This may be viewed as a deviation from the intended plan. Yeah, think? You know, the one thing that never gets discussed when nuclear safety systems are touted is that consistent problem of human error, as was demonstrated so well by this experienced engineer and Darwin Award-adjacent nominee. And that's why anyone who thinks that all things nuke are not subject to human error qualify for this week's None Nuts of the Week! And then there are some nuclear stories that make no sense whatsoever. This one is from episode number 314 
on June 27, 2017. A nuclear power plant in the Czech Republic held a bikini beauty contest, the winner of which would be rewarded with a prize of a two-week internship at the plant. The 10 hopefuls, who were actually wearing two-piece bathing suits as opposed to a genuine bikini, which was named after the atoll in the Marshall Islands that was bombed to smithereens as part of our nuclear testing program, tastefully accessorized with hard hats and closed-toed shoes, the ten young women posed inside the plant's cooling tower, which, thank everything, had been closed for maintenance. Facebook users were asked to rate who they thought should be the winner based on her looks alone. The company compared the competition to its previous cultural endeavors, such as hosting the Bohemian Philharmonic Orchestra at the plant. Presumably, they were fully clothed. CEZ, the owner-operator of the nuclear power plant at Temelin, reacted to criticism by apologizing via Facebook and announcing that all competitors would be granted internships at the plant. Yeah, but what are their uniforms going to look like? That's why you, CEZ, from the Czech Republic, are this week's None Nuts of the Week. The U.S. government regularly pushes the numbnuts button. Let's start with a regular member of the numbnuts club, the Environmental Protection Agency, with this award-winning story from September 12, episode 325. The Environmental Protection Agency's RADnet monitors are intended to give real-time readings of gamma radiation from 130 testing sites around the country. Always good to be able to know if your neighborhood nuclear reactor is leaking radiation into the environment. Which is why it seemed, well, let's use a neutral word, odd, that the RADnet monitors for South Texas suddenly went offline right after Hurricane Harvey on September 7. Even odder, the very next day, September 8, all five Florida RADnet monitors, Jacksonville, Miami, Orlando, Tallahassee, and Tampa, suddenly went offline and remained offline just in time for them not to be available to provide readings during Hurricane Irma and in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. This is particularly relevant given the possible radiation release in the steam released during the scram at Turkey Point 4. EPA said nothing about this outage until after criticism of it began appearing in the media and online. Now, just today, Tuesday, September 12, they posted a message on their site which read, Due to maintenance, RADnet air monitoring data will be temporarily frozen to September 8, 2017. We are working to resolve the issue. They might as well have said the dog ate their homework. Note the wording. Due to maintenance, which implies a planned outage, we are working to resolve the issue, which implies an unexpected problem or emergency that must be handled. So which one is it, dudes? Maintenance or an issue? Or maybe a cover-up? Now, there's another notice up which reads, We are currently experiencing technical difficulties in posting RADnet air monitoring results. Then there's the reference to RADnet monitoring data 
being temporarily frozen. So they've got the data and just can't post it? They're doing maintenance and have to take it down while dusting the data and scrubbing the stats? Or is there an issue? And that's why the EPA IRMA cover-up, I mean, notice of loss of RadNet radiation monitoring network, is this week's Nuts of the Week. And the EPA was added again, as we reported in Numnuts of the Week for October 24 and episode number 331. The Environmental Protection Agency, a phrase which in and of itself is becoming more of an oxymoron every week, has just said that higher radiation levels pose, quote, no harmful health effect. Well, isn't that special? That means that in the event of a dirty bomb or a nuclear meltdown, emergency first responders can safely tolerate radiation levels equivalent to thousands of chest x-rays. This despite the fact that a 2007 version of the same document stated that no level of radiation is safe, concluding the current body of scientific knowledge tells us this. Oh, but these are new days, and who cares about science anyway? Certainly not the EPA, especially when they are weakening radiation safety levels established during the Obama administration to 10 times what was previously deemed acceptable. Daniel Hirsch, the retired director of the University of California Santa Cruz's program on environmental and nuclear policy, said, It's really a huge amount of radiation they are saying is safe. The position taken could readily unravel all radiation protection rules. Gallingly, the APA cites radiation levels that are considered safe for external contamination, but make no distinction about internal contamination, where a single speck of, say, plutonium in your lungs guarantees lung cancer. The EPA has never before said that any level of radiation exposure is safe, according to Jeff Rush, executive director of the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, a watchdog group. Rush linked the EPA's scientific views on radiation exposure to the skepticism of EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt that humans are the main contributor to climate change. He said, I knew that under Scott Pruitt, EPA is in climate denial, but now it appears to be in radiation denial as well. This appears to be another case of the Pruitt EPA proclaiming conclusions exactly opposite the overwhelming weight of scientific research. The EPA said in an emailed statement, although current science suggests that there is some cancer risk from any exposure to radiation, it is very hard to tell whether a particular cancer was caused by very low doses of radiation or by some other source. They always duck behind that argument. Rush said he was concerned the document signals that in the event of a Fukushima-type nuclear meltdown, the EPA would allow public consumption of radiation-contaminated drinking water. And he concluded, Dr. Strangelove is alive and lurking somewhere in the corridors of EPA. And that's why, EPA, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. From the EPA, we move into the U.S. government, which has been harboring an ever-increasing number of numbnuts-minded politicians. In episode number 315 on July 4th, 
the story provided its own kind of fireworks. U.S. Energy Secretary Rick Perry said on Tuesday, June 27, that one of his agency's goals is to push nuclear energy. He said, one of the things we want to do at the Department of Energy is to make nuclear energy cool again. Listen up, you clueless frat boy. Nukes were never cool. Oh, oh, wait a minute. They were for you and your friends? Here's a further quote. Perry said, You remember when we were kids? Well, sorry, you are nowhere near my age. Chortle, chortle, chortle. But when I was younger in the 60s, and a lot of kids wanted to go into the nuclear energy field. But that isn't the case now, he said, quote, because this industry has been strangled all too often by government regulations. What, Rick Perry? Like safety regulations? Because you're dealing with the most dangerous material on the planet, plutonium? Perry went on to say that he wants the U.S. to begin again to, quote, bring us to that place where nuclear energy is part of a portfolio and be able to sell it in great truthfulness and honesty, gag me with a spoon, about what it can add to America from an environmental standpoint. What environmental standpoint? Like the addition of life-destroying radionuclides with a half-life of forever? into our water, into our air, into our soil, into the uptake of our plants that we eat and the animals that eat the plants that have the radiation in them. But of course, none of that will work into the nuclear Schilling Perry's storyline of truthfulness and honesty because radiation works invisibly and in slow motion. No one in the future will hold you accountable for their cancers, for their heart disease, for any of the other problems that can come from exposure to radionuclides. Your feet will not be held to the fire. In fact, your feet will be allowed to be cool, like nuclear most definitely is not. And that's why you, Rick Perry, alas and alack for all of us, Energy Secretary of the United States, are this week's None That's Out of the Week. Another well-placed member of the government came up with this tidbit for episode number 332, October 31st, 2017. And let me tell you what he had to say was a whole lot scarier than Halloween. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot are you talking about? War is peace, peace is war. This is like Orwell's Newspeak from 1984, a gaslighting language designed to obscure the truth of a situation. Some of the terms that Orwell used, black-white, to believe that black is white, so to know that black is white, you forget that one ever believed anything else. Then there's doublethink the act of simultaneously accepting two mutually contradictory beliefs as correct. So in Orwellian terms, Mike Pence is a black-white, double-thinking, gaslighting promoter of ultimate war, ultimate death, ultimate destruction of the planet, because that's what makes for peace. And that's why you, Mike Pence, are this week's None Nuts of the Week. Then there's the inexcusable numnutsery that combines arrogance, thoughtlessness, 
and national security risks, all of which crystallized in a single photograph. From our Valentine's Day show, February 14, number 295. Hike! It's a fake pass! No, it's a faux pas with the nuclear football. That's right, the briefcase that carries all the codes that our current president or any president needs to launch a nuclear attack in four minutes with no way of being contradicted, got to pose for pictures at Mar-a-Lago Resort in Palm Beach, Florida. That's because Trump was there, and Mar-a-Lago member Richard Diagazio decided that he really wanted to take selfies with the nuclear football and the poor guy who was guarding it. Nothing like a good old boy posing next to a satchel that holds the capability of launching a nuclear war. Then he posted the pics and wrote, This is Rick. He carries the football, the nuclear football. It's a briefcase, its contents of which are used by the presidents of the United States to authorize a nuclear attack. It is held by an aide-de-camp, and Rick is the man. Well, probably not anymore. Not after a security breach like that. But you can't blame Rick because he's just the fall guy. In an unsecured location. With the nuclear launch codes. And pictures. On social media. And that's why, for even making this situation possible, you, yes, you, Donald J. Trump, are this week's Numbnuts of the Week. And now, Nuclear Hot Seat's Numbnuts of the Year. One year ago, How aware were you of the continuing existence of nuclear weapons on hair-trigger alert aimed by us at our presumed enemies and by our presumed enemies at us? Except for regular listeners of this show and those who follow the work of Bruce Gagnon at spaceforpeace.org, if you're like most people, you probably maintained a studied ignorance about the bomb instead of the existential dread that we now live with every day. Yes, it's the 1950s all over again, down to official government advice that the best way to protect yourself from a nuclear attack is to duck and cover. Why? Why now? Two words. Donald Trump. The world stays in a semi-upright position because of a delicate web of diplomatic ties, mutual lies, and occasional agreements. The opposite of diplomacy is insults. And with Twitter unleashing the president's id to spew threats and taunts at a world leader known for having absolutely no sense of humor, we are not in even the illusion of a secure international place. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un of North Korea are two bulls in the planetary china shop, waving red flags at each other and daring, just daring, the other one to charge. Lurking in the background, watching every unnuanced step, are nuclear megapowers China and Russia, each ready to take self-protective measures depending on which way the nuclear action blows. At stake? Everything. Not one corner of the world will remain untouched if the two leads in this high-stakes drama, the short-fused Trump and the stubborn dictator Kim, decide to jump the shark 
and see just how low things will go. And North Korea doesn't even need a nuclear bomb atop an ICBM to set off the apocalypse. Conventional weapons aimed at nuclear reactor spent fuel pools in South Korea and Japan, an eminently doable deed, will have the same radiation impact on the Northern Hemisphere as a fireball, only without the my bang is bigger than your bang satisfaction and payoff for the egos involved. No way this message is going to get through to Kim Jong-un, so Donald Trump, White House resident, titular president, cool your jets. In less than one year in office, you've ramped up the nuclear threat level to where the Union of Concerned Scientists have moved the hands of the doomsday clock 30 seconds closer to midnight, and that's only two and a half minutes away. Your Nuclear Stumblebum Act extends further including the money you've helped channel into the nuclear weapons and reactor industries from government coffers, the cutting back of necessary funds to run the Hanford site in Washington State, one of the ten most radiologically devastated and dangerous places on the planet, the continued weakening of the already diminished EPA safety standards, and so much more. Admittedly, every president since Eisenhower has had the ability to push the button on his own recognizance and start a nuclear war, with nary a check or a balance in sight. And this program did not go easy on Barack Obama when he was president for his $8 billion in federally guaranteed loans to the Vogel nuclear reactors, the rolling back of EPA radiation standards, the trillion dollars he pledged to upgrading our nuclear arsenal, the support for the cover-up of Fukushima, and more. As for the presidents before Obama, I wasn't doing this show before 2011, so I'm going to beg off on any responsibility for not digging the actions of Truman through Bush, too. But previous presidents did not engage in unvetted behaviors which made us question their willingness to withstand the temptation to launch a world-ending nuclear attack. Nuclear is bigger than all the presidents combined. It's more important longer-lasting, its risks to humanity greater, and balanced on a hair trigger, only one impulsive tantrum away. In short, nuclear trumps Trump. Only I don't think he understands that. And that's what makes him such a potential threat to our long-term survival as a species. This is not about Democrats versus Republicans, right-wing versus left-wing, red versus blue, conservatives versus liberals. This is humanity versus the power nuclear has to destroy everything. Be it with a bang or a whimper, nuclear's got us by the short and curlies. Fireball, blast radius, radiation, nuclear winter, radioactive waste, depleted uranium, DNA damage, contaminated food and water— it's all bad, and it has to be stopped. And cooler minds have to dial back the rhetoric, the posturing, the pretense that this is a pretense instead of a deadly serious face-to-face -face with planetary mortality. And because you have taken us so far, so fast, down a path that could lead to ultimate nuclear annihilation, you, Mr. President Donald Trump, are this year's Nuclear Numbnuts of the Year.
and it is my fervent wish that we may all be alive and well next year at this time, so I can find someone else upon whom to bestow the honor. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 26, 2017. A year-end shout-out to the Nuclear Hot Seat listeners and followers around the world, now in 123 countries. You are the ones who show your love for life on this planet by being the kick-ass defenders of truth and supporters of nuclear awareness that you are. Thanks for gathering at the Nuclear Hot Seat sites on Facebook. We actually have two, a blog page and a podcast page. Be sure to stop by both, click like, post, and share. If you know of a radio station in your area that would be interested in joining the growing list of broadcast affiliates carrying Nuclear Hot Seat, contact me with their info or have them contact us by sending an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilee Weber, accompaniment by John Barnard, recorded at Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2017, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provider. And a reminder that if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, delivered with as much humor and context as possible, take a moment to send a donation to NuclearHotSeat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that, as Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. May your 2018 be filled with peace, joy, and health. And may we all get out of the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.